Hi, this is Bob from How Many, and when I'm not recording lame promos, I'm listening to Set Lusting Bruce. Or am I? The of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, fresh from my vacation in Bourbon Land. I uh, just spent a week in Kentucky and had a blast, and I was very pleasantly happy, pleasantly surprised. Um, this guy that we are going to talk to tonight, he and I have been exchanging emails for months, um, he was nice of, uh, and Mike, um, is going to talk in just a minute, but Mike had emailed me and said, Hey, I hear you're looking for guests. You know, I grew up in Jersey. I ended up going to California for a while, but I love Bruce. I'm like, sure, Mike, we can have you on. Uh, so Mike, introduce <laughs> yourself. Oh, hi everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, Mike Scully. Uh, I, I'm actually not from Jersey. I'm from Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, okay. which is East where Coast, I first saw yes. Bruce and then but I do live in uh yeah California now I'm a uh TV writer out here. Yeah, so I'm like, "Oh, yeah, he's some TV writer." So I go into IMDb and like, "Oh, yeah, he's a pretty successful writer." Uh <laughs> for uh tell us just um if you're going to do your elevator pitch. Um like <laughs> who would you want to? Who would you want to share that you've worked with and done? Uh, well, I'll, t I'll just tell you the good ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, mainly, primarily The Simpsons uh, for the last 25 years, but also Parks and Recreation, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, and a uh, a show that not a lot of people saw that was canceled, but I was proud of it called The Carmichael Show. Yeah, um, I, I saw that and I was like. That looked a lot of fun. Yeah, well, we had a, a good time on the show. It was kind of a throwback show to kind of like 1970s Norman Lear style, like, you know, uh, with a live audience and a family that talks about social issues and political issues and, you know, gets into deep arguments and stuff like that. So it was fun to write. Uh, and Gerard Carmichael, I think, is a like a great you know, comic talent on the rise. And I think you're going to see a lot more from him in the future. Actually, the whole cast was terrific. We had, you know, David Allen Greer and Loretta Devine, but the two breakouts who in the past year have been uh, Tiffany Haddish uh, and uh, a comic named Little Ralph Howery, who just got his own series on Fox 
that I think I'm going to be working on in some capacity. So uh, anyhow, nice. but yeah, yeah, I've been, I left a lot of shows off there. There was, uh, I, there's one show I should mention because some people get excited because they grew up with a show called out of this world. Um, and sometimes I've worked with writers who, when they find that out, you know, they, they, it's like their beloved childhood show or something. So uh, I'll throw that into. Yeah. Um, I, I remember that one that, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a very fine, very lucky guy. I have no, uh, real qualifications to be doing this. I had no training. I didn't go to college, but here I am. Well, you know, that's a story. Um, one of my favorite podcasts is, um, the Nerdist Writers Panel. And, oh, and yeah. 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 I, I just love the idea you know, and you hear the behind the scenes that probably no one else cares, but this is just for you and I anyway. How I one of the first ways I got into podcasting was the Battlestar Galactica, Ron Moore. Um, you know, he did a podcast after each episode and he kind of talked about it was the first writer I'd ever heard. Like, yeah, that didn't work. You know, we yeah. tried it. Um <laughs> If you're telling me this is what's happening, eh, I think that's a fair get, you know. And, and it yeah, was yeah. it was kind of interesting <laughs> to hear somebody as a writer talk about, you know, well, you know, here's what we were trying to do. We thought it was going to work more. And then also um, the idea that after they wrote it and filmed it, well, we're going to have to re-edit this because the storyline isn't working. I was like, you're allowed to yeah, do yeah. that? That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, happen that happens all the time. I mean, every every episode of every show, you start out with the, you know, the best of intentions. And yeah. Then, uh, you know, where, you know, nobody's deliberately trying to make a terrible episode of television, but sometimes it just comes out that way. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you're able to fix it. And time before it airs, and other times, you know, some, you just you just run out of you know time and money, and and you don't have a good idea, and then you just have to put it on and let America, you know, <laughs> hate it on, uh, online. Yeah. Uh, but you know that that's just part of the it's just part of the process. You know, it's it's really cool when an episode comes out great, or or you're having trouble with one, and you figure out what the problem is and you fix it. But sometimes they just get on TV, and you have to live with it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, um, I can, I can imagine. Um, well, we're going to talk some more. I think you have a great uh, Springsteen slash um, Bruce story, a Simpsons slash Bruce story. But I always like to start out with Mike. Talk about growing up in Massachusetts. Um, you know, what kind of music did you listen to? What what kind of fam music did your family listen to? Was there, were, did you grow up hearing a lot of different music? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, my, uh, my, my father had like terrible, you know, he, he was like every Sunday morning he would blast, uh, polka music, uh, really loud, which my mother hated. <laughs> uh, and so did the rest of us. But, but my mom actually had very cool taste in music. She was into jazz. Um, you know, she loved, you know, big bands like, um, you know, Woody Herman and, and um, Dave Brubeck, uh, you know, uh, she, you know, all kinds of jazz I listened to. And she was a giant Sinatra fan. Uh, so I, I, you know, and I also had an uncle who 
had a big band uh, in New England. He was a trumpet player and he had his own orchestra. And so I was exposed to a lot of jazz growing up. And then, you know, I made the, you know, in the sixties, the whole, you know, British invasion. And, uh, you know, I was very, you know, Beatles, Stones, Kinks, the whole deal. And then uh, I think when I hit around, God, I must've been around 12, 13 years old. um, The Allman Brothers band put out an album called Idlewild South. And, uh, I heard it. I, I had started to listening to FM radio at the time, which was, you know, album oriented rock where they would play entire sides of albums or that sort of thing. And I, and that album kind of changed the way I was listening to music. I, you know, I, I was still, I still loved the Beatles and, and all that, but I was suddenly like hearing this mix of rock and jazz and blues and, and not really knowing all of it yet, you know, but, uh, you know, that was kind of a like an eye opener. And, and FM radio kind of changed uh, a lot of what I listened to because you could get into you know, bands you wouldn't hear on the top 40 stations. And uh, and that's where I discovered Bruce uh, in 1973. So, you know, so, Mike, you're one of the cool kids. Um, you and I <laughs> are uh, close to the same age. I was born a little bit later than you. Uh, I was born in 59. I graduated high school okay. in 77. Um, and, you know, I was, I talk about this all the time. I was a top 40 kid, AM radio, and uh, a couple of my cool friends, you know, listened to the FM station. And I'm like, but, but you don't know the songs. How can you sing along? And I can yeah. remember, <laughs> you know, Kathy uh, Weems saying, that's part of the point, Jesse. I was like, oh, and, yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, and it's... yeah, no, we had a we had a station in uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts. It was a our FM station was called WHVY FM, uh, heavy FM is how they would announce themselves. Uh, and we thought it was just like the coolest station you know around. And and a lot of people think of like top forty as just you know pop or kind of mindless stuff. But top forty back then was you know, great stuff. I mean, it was Beatles and Credence and Stones and it, it was awesome songs on top 40 too, you know, but you know, the FM stations really let you kind of hear bands you didn't get to normally hear very often. And then, and really, you know, like I said, they would play an entire album all the way through sometimes. And so you, you could really get to, to know a band, you know, kind of quickly. Uh, and, and the DJs were allowed to play what they wanted. Uh, it wasn't the kind of pre-programmed, uh, station approved, you know, playlist that they have to deal with now. Yeah, I, um, it's funny. I went to a wedding on Saturday and one of the relatives of the family was this, um, 18, 17, 18 year old, um, kid. And I ended up starting to talk to him and, uh, he was, talking about the music he liked and and of course you know i'd never heard of the bands um but he talked about that um you know we both shared that um everyone kind of um music is very i guess like tv it is very individualized you know uh, my wife yeah. i you know watches msnbc 
you know, and she says, I know it's slanted TV. I know I'm getting a, a viewpoint, <laughs> but that's the viewpoint I want to watch. Uh, you know, and so this kind of same thing with the TV, you know, uh, I listen to E Street Radio. Um, I listen to sports talk shows. Uh, you know, I I don't, (laughs) I do not listen to a general channel anymore. Um, but no, that's true. That's, that's a great point. I, I don't, now that I think about it, I basically listen to, I'll listen to E Street Radio uh, Howard Stern or the NHL Network. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and you know, I, I and that's also, um, and you know, we I don't want to get into this old man. You know, things were better then, oh. but it is very. Oh, different. and the and the Underground Garage. I should, I should yes, I, mention I, that too. I do listen to them a lot. I mm. love the Underground Garage too, and yeah. uh, do flip that. <laughs> When my people I work with are like, we're enough of Bruce. Oh, well, here, let me put it on their garage. Uh, yeah, exactly. That, that'll get a little, that's a very diverse. Um, yeah, and and the same thing with TV now. Um, it's got to drive you um, crazy as a creative person that's working in TV. You know, the audience is so fractured. You know, it's very hard to... Um, you know, you are almost programming for a niche audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's changed dramatically just in the last seven or eight years. Uh, I mean, it used to be like, you know, there was the three networks, then the four when Fox came along, and they pretty much, they were the only game in town was the broadcast networks. Uh, and, and cable, when it came along, was basically a place for, reruns of old network shows and uh and then you had stuff like hbo but they weren't even doing a lot of original uh things but uh now you know with the you know netflix and hulu and amazon and and the increase in the cable channels doing their own programming there's so much uh you know content out there now for people to choose from and I used to know every show on television. I, I, I at least knew what, what they were about, or I would see a couple episodes of, of everything. And now that's just impossible to do. There's an entire series that, you know, I'll like, I hear about from people that I, I've never even you know, knew existed. So yeah, it, the landscape has really changed a lot. Like it did, you know, the shakeup in the music business when, you know, iTunes came along and, and now, you know, television has been going through it the last few years. Yeah, uh, you know, Mike, because I have that same in thoughts of, you know, I've reached the point where I realize there are great series that I may never have a chance to watch. You know, yeah, I, yeah, it just, exactly. it, it's just yeah. I've accepted the fact that, you know, um, and it is just a very weird thing to to think about and to see Um and so, yeah, it's very different. But Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. To get us back on track, which my will be we won't stay there long but you mentioned you what do you remember what bruce album or songs you heard that made you go hey what what is this guy when you're listening to uh heavy fm oh yeah i was uh i was actually working in a, a department store uh in springfield mass i was 16 and uh I was in the department, the department that sold like, you know, Levi jeans and cords and t-shirts, you know, they, they were trying to be like the cool place, you know, it was, you know, whatever year, 19, you know, 73, I guess. And yeah, I think the name of the department was directions unlimited because I think they just thought it sounded psychedelic or whatever. But so in that department, it was the one place where you didn't have to wear a suit you could they wanted you to wear the clothes they sold and you could play any music you wanted on the radio they had in that department because it was in the basement of the store and one day uh they played uh the greetings album all the way through and like right from the first track it was just like such a different sound and i you know don't know why it spoke to me the way it did or hit me the way it did but i just loved it and i think especially you know the uh, you know when it, like a song like growing up or particularly like the saxophone on Spirit in the Night because I you know I I've always loved a a great sax in a song but it had such a different sound to it than anything I had heard uh, I was just kind of instantly into it and wanted to know more you know more about Bruce and the band. Um, yeah, and so and now then we just in context it's a it was a little bit tougher now then if someone says hey 
Jesse, you should check out this band. I, you know, I go to Mr. Google, and I go, hey, tell me about this band. A uh, little tougher back then, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I, I, you know, went, you know, to the, you know, uh, local record shop, and there was a guy who worked there who, you know, really like you know, knew his music and stuff. So I was asking, you know, him about. You know, I bought the album and I said, have you ever heard it? You know, have you heard of this guy? And he, he had heard like just, you know, kind of through the grapevine, through friends of his and in, in the business that this band was like, it was a great live show that this, you know, that Bruce Springsteen was a great performer and, you know, but he was just kind of coming up and he, but he was a big deal in New Jersey. That was kind of all I could find out about him. Uh, but then six months later, he actually came to my town as the opening act for Chicago. So I got to, uh, uh, that was the first time I got to see the band live in like June of 73. And um, anything you remember? Yeah, a couple of things. One was, uh, I don't believe the band was even like listed on the marquee or on the ticket. I, I think you had to hear the ad that they were the opening act. Um, so when, when the band came out and, you know, Clarence walked out holding a saxophone, I remember there was a girl sitting behind me and she thought that was Chicago cause she saw the horn and, right. and she said, and she goes, I didn't know Chicago had a black guy. <laughs> I, I remember her vividly saying that to her boyfriend and, uh, and me and my buddy were like, idiot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and you know, they, I don't remember a lot of the set. I remember at one point. Bruce had his back to the audience for kind of a what felt like a long stretch, you know, uh, uh, you know, playing a guitar solo. But in my head, his back was to the crowd for quite a while. But I could be wrong on that. But I think he had a black leather jacket, and you know, he was in his very, you know, you know, scrawny, scruffy <laughs> phase. Uh, and you know, after they were done with their set. It was funny. My friend and I said we were thinking of leaving, and they were like, "Well, we might as well stay and see Chicago. We're here." <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious um, to you know think about that. And um, I, I remember seeing a list once of the kind of the diversity of bands that Bruce you know opened for. And um, I, I, t I told the story a couple of times, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I want it to be true, is, um, and I especially talked about this when Tom Petty died, is when they were touring, like, the Muse or, you know, No Nukes or something, um, someone came up to Petty and said, you know, they're not booing you, they're saying Bruce. And he said, is there a difference? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And I'm like, I don't know if it's true or not, but I I, I want it to be true because that just yeah so much about that yeah uh, yeah um, now there's a great there's a great uh, like part in the book where he lists a lot of the acts that he opened for yeah. uh, uh, and it was fun I remember when I was reading it he actually opened for there was a, a, a another band that I discovered on that same station who I loved who did not. You know, achieve the fame or success that, that Bruce did, but a band called NRBQ and uh, Bruce, he mentioned them in the book that he had opened for them. 
uh, somewhere in the early 70s, uh, which I thought was really cool. And, and nice that he gave them a little shout out because they never kind of got the uh, recognition they deserved. That is, yeah, that had to be like, oh, yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, Mike, I, I always like to preface this. Um, the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of what kind of fan you are because, you know, if you grew up in Louisiana like I did and then moved to Texas, you don't get as many options as someone who's in the East Coast. But um, do you have a count? Because not everyone does. No, I actually don't. I, my guess is it's somewhere in the range of about 150, maybe like okay. 125 to 150. Uh, and it, but yeah, there was a period where you, you just, you know, seeing him, I was seeing him every chance I got when he was either coming through our town, but cause he would frequently play like Springfield, but he would also play Hartford, Connecticut, which was only a half hour away or Amherst mass or Boston. So, you know, he was hitting a lot of the East coast now. So there was, you know, lots of opportunities to see him, but you know, at, you, I didn't think at that time, like, Oh, I should be counting these shows. Cause someday people are going to be keeping track and uh and like you said it, it sometimes some people consider it a barometer of how big a fan you are but yeah i would i would guess it it's you know 125 to 150 yeah um i have um there is a local singer songwriter her name is sarah hickman and um she started very early she she was with electra for a while and she never caught on. She's um, she's now retired and she's running an Airbnb and um, oh, and yeah. she had like eight or nine albums. I mean, she she was very happy with the career and and she just decided um, within the past year that she just it it wasn't worth it anymore and she wanted to do something else. And um, you know, we used to see her every week when she would play at. Um, this was when we were much younger. My wife and I, we were in our late 20s. We would get off work at 5, uh, go home, take a nap, and then get up and go to see her set that started at 10 o'clock in downtown Dallas. And, you know, we'd go to midnight and then come home and, you know, and just go to work on Tuesday mornings. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, we did that every week. And we never thought to count how many times we'd seen Sarah. It was just – We'd seen Sarah. We just went. She played. We went and saw her. Um, and yeah. so I, I, I totally get that feeling. Um, yeah. No, it's it's such a tough, tough business. You know, for you know, for every act that you know actually makes it, there's so many you know others that have stories like that. And uh, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I just a few months ago, I uh, went to see Southside Johnny out here. And, you know, he hadn't been on the West Coast in about 15 years. Um, and the band was incredible. <laughs> they were in, yeah. they played at the Whiskey in Hollywood. They were in great form. Uh, Southside sounded great and was you know, hilarious. He always makes me laugh. And uh, but I used to see him on the East Coast all the time. We, we could always go see him. And I remember how angry I would get when, like, Huey Lewis and the News became successful. <laughs> And it was nothing against Huey Lewis or anything, but it was like, why are they giant stars and Southside, you know, it, you know, isn't more well known? It would just drive me crazy, like because I thought Southside 
you know, had a much you know, better horn section and the songs were better written and he's a better performer. I, and it used to really just drive me nuts. I used to, I really feel for musicians like that. I think because I've known so many and been friends, you know, with them and, and I see how tough the life can be. Uh, it drives me nuts when somebody talented doesn't make it. You know, Mike, I, I think that uh, is a perfect thing to talk about because, you know, as a fan of TV, I have that same feeling sometimes that, um, you know, I'll have, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, I was, you discover Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Josh Whedon, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's coaching trees and there's writing trees you yep. <laughs> know? and, and you start going of like, you know, you, you, you start becoming fans of writers and you're like, how can this show or how can this daughter, how is it not finding a broader audience? Um, and, and you just, and then you see something else and I'm, you know, everyone, people, entertainment is, is what other people love, right? And so I'm not going to yeah. say a show that is not my cup of tea is not worthy of being on a TV show because obviously someone likes it and it entertains people, and that's great. But yeah. you do get this feeling like, but but why, you know, something, you know, um, Brooklyn Nine Nine or you know, um, yeah, you know, or Timeless. You know, I, I you know I'm sitting here going. But but it's such an interesting show and it's so good. But it, it, so I feel the same way. You think about, you know, Bruce could have been Southside Johnny. I without oh, a couple yeah. of breaks, yeah. that could have been, and he could have ruled the Jersey Shore and had a blast, and um, and and had and had been true hunger for success but have if you can make a living um you know writing and singing you know that's not a bad gig and i don't know oh, if that's absolutely. really a question I mean... there but just your thoughts <laughs> yeah no i mean if you can make a living you're doing something you love you know that's that's still pretty awesome yeah uh you know as you you know as you know as you get older it gets tougher uh and you know because you're trying when you're doing it when you're, you're young and single, you know, you don't need a lot to get by. But if you want to try to, you know, have a family and, you know, have kids and, and raise them and put them through school and all that, that's where, you know, it really becomes difficult because you're no longer doing it just for yourself. You're now responsible for other people, too. And you know, that's where you really get tested, I think. Yeah. And I do. Um, my wife and I talk about this often. You know, when do you become when are you? when are you being selfish or when are you being like, you know, he has a dream and he's not giving it up. And like, then you wonder, but is there a time when you should give it up? And I, I, <laughs> I can't make that decision for someone, but I, but I wonder about that sometimes. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, go ahead. it's tricky. Cause I, you know, I, I came out here, uh, in 82, I mean, really just kind of a, a flyer. I had turned, you know, uh, on my 25th birthday, I kind of decided, you know, I was just sitting in a car with my friends, you know, drinking, you know, and doing what we normally do. And I just had this moment of like, this kind of epiphany and that, you know, I don't want to be here a year from now when I turn 26 doing this anymore. It was fun. 
when I was younger, but now I want to do something with my life. And I made this list of, you know, things I enjoy and, and things I would like to try maybe. And then I just I saved up some money for about six months and then drove out here, you know, not knowing anybody, but really pursuing this dream. Uh, and I've always thought kind of the, an advantage I had, which sounds weird, is because I didn't go to college, I had no degree in my back pocket to to fall back on if things didn't work out. So my motivation was I had no choice uh, but to succeed. And I and I knew people, I, I met people out here who I thought were really talented who maybe gave up a, earlier than they should have because they had, you know, a job waiting for them or, you know, they had the accounting degree or whatever. And so they, they got nervous that they were waiting too long for the dream to happen and they left. And, you know, I, one of them I, I met again about, Two years ago, he's now like in his late 50s, and he <laughs> suddenly quit his the job he'd had for 30 years and was trying to break into writing now, which is really hard. Um, so I, uh, I, in terms of like when to give it up, I just feel like there's no hard and fast rule, and 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 kind of like who am I to tell anybody <laughs> when to give up their yeah. dream? I think I think you just feel it when you no longer you know, are having fun chasing it or, or the negatives are outweighing the positive or it's like ruining your self-esteem and uh, that's something maybe it's time to, to get out. Uh, but, you know, it, it is fun chasing it and having that hope and, you know, you know coming close and just missing and all that stuff. Uh, it is fun. But, uh, you know, like you said, when you try to have a family and all that, that's where it gets tough. Yeah. And, um, did you had you written before when you decided to come here and you know try? No, not I mean I had written like for the high school newspaper <laughs> and okay. uh, that's that sort of thing and I always had kind of a, a gift for it. It just kind of came writing as a kid came kind of easy for me and I was a big comedy you know uh junkie growing up you know with you know george carlin and the smothers brothers and and people like that uh you know uh johnny carson and jackie gleason so i always loved comedy and i knew you know i knew i was you know funny and and i was always like kind of getting in trouble at school for you know you deciding to you know get laughs instead of good grades and yeah. uh uh so you know it was something I just felt like if I don't try this, if I don't at least give this a try and I wind up, you know, taking a job, whatever, you know, at that time I, I was working as a God, I was a driving instructor, um, teaching, you know, 16 year old kids how to drive. Uh, and, uh, and I was a, a, a janitor at a hospital back there. And so I just like, I just felt like I can always come back and do a job like this if this doesn't work out, but if I never even try, I knew I would wind up presenting it. So, uh, you know, I, I just decided to give it a shot. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, it was an insane plan. You know, like if my, if one of my kids came to me now and said, Hey, I'm going to give up the job I have. Uh, I'm going to, and I'm going to get this old you know, beat up car and I have $200 and I'm going to move 3000 miles away 
and you probably won't be able to reach me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to pursue this this thing that I don't know anybody who does for a living. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would tell my kids that's insane. That's the dumbest plan I've ever heard. And yeah. unfortunately, my mom my my mom actually encouraged me. <laughs> so. You know that's that's funny, Mike. Right? Like they go, hey, you know, Dad, I'm gonna I'm gonna go sleep on someone's couch in New York, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna figure out a way to you know, be on stage. You're like, what? Yeah. What, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Do you realize how hard that is? Uh, I, yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah. My dad did have the expected reaction. He literally like, just, he said it was the dumbest plan he had ever heard. And, you know, it, it made no sense to him whatsoever. And he, you know, told me I should just look into the local factories, <laughs> you know, and just get a steady job, you know, get benefits, stay there and the rest yeah. of my life. And that would be that. You know? So, um, is, um, did you have a, um, a Oscar moment with your father when, uh, you'd won an Emmy the way that Bruce had that, you know, Oscar <laughs> moment with his dad? Uh, not, I think just when I first, started to make money as a writer uh the first time i actually got paid for writing uh that was kind of that moment for me uh it, to, to be able to call him and say you know somebody is actually paying me to write comedy uh was a great feeling and then uh as things took off it was just so funny like you know you know history started to get rewritten and suddenly he would be bragging to his friends about me and how he always knew I was talented. <laughs> and I decided not to burst his bubble. I let him have his version of the story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and I, so as a writer, what did you think of Bruce's um, autobiography? Oh man. Uh, I loved it. Uh, it was it was just, you know, reading it, it's funny, it's almost reading it with his voice in your head. It's kind of like you're doing your own audio book. Uh, and I could tell right away, like, you know, in the first chapter, like, oh, this wasn't ghostwritten. This is him talking. You could just tell uh, in the writing. It just sounded, I'd seen enough, you know, interviews with him over the years. And, uh, and it just felt like him talking to you, telling these stories. But it also explained to me, it helped me understand, like, why did I connect with this guy so much who, you know, grew up on the Jer Jersey Shore and you know, lived a different life than I did. And uh, and these characters he would write about in songs like with nicknames like, you know, Spanish Johnny. <laughs> and I, it was, you know, I was like a suburbs kid. And I, I didn't I didn't live any of that life of like running around the boardwalk at, at night and all that stuff. But yet there was something in the music that really hit me. And then reading about his relationship with his dad uh, was so much like, so much like reading about my own relationship with my dad. Um, just that feeling of walking in at night. And he would talk about his dad sitting there in the dark, you know, with the glow of the cigarette. And, man, I had a million moments like that. Um, and my dad used to have this nickname for me. Uh, uh, fun boy, you know, because like, I, I used to tell him all I wanted to do you know, was have fun. And so I'd come home at night and he'd be sitting up in the dark and I would just hear all of a sudden like, so do you have enough fun tonight, fun boy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And, you know, so and there was just like years where we did not connect or get along. And he seemed to resent everything I stood for or didn't stand for what I look like and my hair and what the music I listened to, um, you know. And so then I realized I, I think that's, you know, why I was responding, you know, to to Bruce's music so much. And, um, you know, there was just such a similarity. And then reading about his childhood in that neighborhood and uh, you know the type the type of neighbor he grew up in with you know, living nearby near the church which I did also and being raised Catholic and, and then suddenly it was just you know subliminally he somehow connected with me and uh, you know that that stuck with me in the writing of the book and also the stories are amazing and you know it's you know one minute you know it's just fascinating but then you're laughing uh uh, you know, and uh, then you're, 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 you're crying and, and it's such a great emotional ride. And it provided so much like background to his life, like, you know, living above that, the, the surfboard factory and, yeah. you know, what he, what he really went through and all those guys went through to get where they got, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, was amazing. And the fact that, you know, you know, the, the stories were just, it was just so great because I you know, lived all those years to hear what was really going on behind the scenes. Like, you know, I was guessing by the time born to run came out, they were all like rolling in cash and living the life. Right. And you realize, Oh, they didn't even make money till like the river. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but they were always broke. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, the two know. things I was really curious about um, is, you know, the decision to break up the band and then right um you know not a lot is said about his first marriage and um and tunnel of love is one of my favorite albums i i just there's, there's a lot of pain in that album and um and and i was he did not give a lot of dirt but it was enough about that you know him talking about that and little Steven has talked about this in interviews that looking back, they could have done this without officially breaking the band up that, you know, in fact, little Steven has said in an interview, he said, if anyone asks me, I tell the band, don't do it. If you have a set of people that you can trust and play with, go do your individual things. That's okay. But you want to keep that band, that band, binding that band together that brotherhood or sisterhood because that's something special and and i thought that was kind of interesting that as the band comes full circle like when i went and saw him on this latest river tour um you know you could tell they were just having fun and they realized that the road in front of them is shorter than the road behind them and yeah, not yeah. to get overly sentimental, right? But, you know, the days you are not guaranteed X amount of days, and they knew that. And they were just the joy they had in playing together just made the show even more special. Oh, totally. And, you know, always like one of my favorite moments of any, you know, uh, you know Bruce and the E Street Band show are those little moments where he and Steve are laughing to each other about something, 
that happened on stage. And it may not be something you even saw. You don't even know what they're laughing at. You know, there may have been some mistake or or some private joke, whatever it is. But I love those moments because uh, you, you just sense the friendship, the the respect, and all the years that they have spent. And they probably, you know, there's probably a part of them that look back and can't believe, you know, what happened with their lives, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and and it's nice to see that after all those years that uh, you know, they can still, you know, get on stage together. And it doesn't look like they never make it look like a job. No. You know, they still look like they're having fun. You know, Mike, there was the clip during the River Tour where um, they showed Bruce's mom dancing um, to um, to um, a song. I'm drawing a blank now. Which one? And um, and they showed Stephen, you know, kind of hitting Bruce and pointing, and then Patty and. Um, and you realize that, you know, Stephen knew he's known Bruce's mom for all these years, too. I mean, you know, there yeah, was, yeah. it was Mama Springsteen. And and just the joy of them seeing that together, um, you're right, that brings a lot of joy. Um, yeah, it just it kind of like brings it. It also like takes me back. You know, I've been you know, I'm 61 years old now and I've been, you know, following him since I was 16. You know? Yeah. So, you know, you know, and, you know, I've lived, you know, a good chunk of my life now. So uh, there's something, you know, very like familiar and reassuring of when you see the band together like that and, and having a good time on stage that, uh, you know, um, you know, I love it. Anything with Bruce's mother too, but I was speaking just for a second on the book. Cause I, I talked about my dad, but the other part of the connection for me was, that his mom was the opposite of his dad, which was the same for me. My mom was very supportive, encouraging, outgoing, fun, always a smile, you know. And when he would describe his mom, like, you know, happily getting up in the morning and going to work and, and you know, her kind of outlook on life versus her uh, his dad, uh, that was kind of like what I witnessed, you know, in my childhood growing up too. So there was all these just connections where, you know, uh, you're living this kind of like parallel childhood, I guess. Uh, and maybe, you know, it was the time too. And growing up on the East coast, there was probably lots of kids growing up like that. Yeah. I, um, I had that same feeling and, uh, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, I, and I'm going to talk to you in a minute cause I know you were lucky enough to go to Broadway as well, but you know, I went in Broadway and yeah. when he did the wish, you know, I was just, tears um oh, oh god yeah <laughs> um you know and um it's it's funny one of my best friends is like man i saw the set list and i'm not a big fan of my father's house i just i hate that's one of the songs we're getting and i said in context you're gonna love it i said you know yeah totally no going from that going from my father's house to the wish was like this one two emotional punch for me and yeah I couldn't believe I was like, I was bawling like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually, like, I'm, I'm looking around like, is this just me? Or... No. <laughs> and no. then you look around and you, and you see, and you see other you know, like grown men crying. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, before I talked a little bit about getting into podcasts and hearing, and, and I really love reading like uh, 
listening to, um, you know, podcasts and talking to writers, and you'll often hear um, a writer say that, you know, he doesn't or she doesn't enjoy watching a drama anymore because you end up being very clinical about it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> like a lot of like you may not enjoy watching comedy. You might have to watch drama because, you know, kind of change the palette. The question I have, though, is were you able to watch the play, his one man show as a fan and not, you know, from an entertainment, you being in the business as a writer? Or did you see it both oh, yeah. levels? Uh, no, totally. Uh, I was able to just enjoy it as as a fan, and uh, and you know the, you know, you're, but you're right. Though, like watching TV, sometimes if I'm watching comedy, uh, you know, I'm it feels starts sometimes can feel like work to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like oh shit, we got to fix this. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. somehow my responsibility. <laughs> you know? You're like oh, um, I don't know if that was a very good act break or you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but but no, watching the the Broadway show, I was totally able to just watch it as a fan, and uh, it it just blew me away on so many levels. The writing is fantastic, but you know it it shouldn't have shocked me because he's always been such a great storyteller. Yes. Um, but the fact the way that you know, I mean, and a lot of it is actually you know an extension of the book, uh, but to connect the stories and to tell. A, a bigger story um, that covers, you know, so many years was just great. And I thought the song choices were excellent and just his total command of the theater as a performer also like shouldn't be shocking because he's, he is, you know, for my money, the greatest live performer ever. But you know, those moments where he would walk away from the microphone deliberately and keep singing and you could still hear like the power, you know, in his voice, even in his late 60s. And to, like, you couldn't, you know, it was so quiet in the theater. And those are like really amazing moments. And and I give him credit not only as a, as a writer and a performer, but as a director, because you're you're looking for those kind of moments that will, you know, unexpectedly hit an audience, you know. Uh, and when you see a, a performer walk away from the microphone you're expecting, oh, it's going to be an instrumental interlude or something. Yeah. You don't expect the song to just keep going. Uh, and I thought those those moments were incredibly effective. Yeah, I was uh, the same here. I was, I, I've talked to a couple of people and I said, you know, it it felt very personal and almost like he he's giving his uh, testimony like at a at a church um, or at a um, some kind of um, self-help or, you know, like a a support group, you know, because he's almost sharing his story. He's sharing his struggles and his his doubts and his fears, and it just was really something special. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I I've recommended it to so many people who are even just kind of I don't uh, like casual fans, right? Uh, you know, and, and I said you know just go see it. it. It's it's if nothing else, it's a great night of theater. But I guarantee you're gonna love it. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I don't agree. see how you 
you can't get drawn into that story. Absolutely. Um, so, gosh, we've we've already talked fifty minutes. I I knew you would. Um, you you you. Oh, feel free the, to edit edit. No 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 no. This is more, no no no. <laughs> no, you've been wonderful. Um, so you did tease because um, I made the joke that I was going to try to stay away from um, Simpsons. Uh, questions and you were kind enough to say you know ask anything you want um, so I was going to ask a couple of questions you know you the Simpsons try not to um, I mean they certainly have celebrities as voice guests and they do at times certainly stress pop culture so being as a big a Springsteen fan as you are has that influence of your writing? Is there something that you've been wanting to do or you wanted to do that you weren't able to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, in the, um, my early years on the show, it became a running joke that I was always writing him into every script I wrote. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would turn the script in and, you know, everyone would look for the moment where I, where for, for no apparent reason, Bruce Springsteen would enter the scene. <laughs> And I would give them a lot. And inevitably, it would wind up getting cut because they were like so badly shoehorned into the story. Uh, uh, But then um, several years later, when I was running the show, I decided to just abuse my power and uh, and make sure that he got into a script. And it was a it was going to be like, I think, a season premiere episode. uh, And. uh, I we wrote a thing for Bruce and the whole band actually, and we gave them all lines where Homer goes to their hotel, and we thought it was funny that the entire E Street band all sleeps in the same bed, kind of like the Three Stooges. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be <laughs> funny. Yeah, that there was like eight of them, like all in a giant bed. Uh, and you know, we wrote all these jokes for it, and then we you know sent it to uh, you know Bruce's people, and you know tried to get them on the show. And ultimately the response we got is that um, we were told that he, at that time, especially that Bruce didn't like to do anything other than play music and hang out with his kids. Um, You know, this is, this is probably like in the late nineties. So yeah, they, they said he just likes to hang, you know, play his music and, and when he's not doing that, he's hanging out with his kids. And I remember my reaction was, that bastard. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why can't he just say, you know, lie and say scheduling conflict like everyone else? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I was, you know, heartbroken. Ultimately, you know, the, the happy ending to the story is we wound up, we, we got the who instead <laughs> as a, as a, it's certainly not a, a second choice or consolation prize. No, but no, that no. one, you know, we wrote, you know, I was really like hoping to get Bruce on the show, uh, you know, at that time. Uh, but, you know, over the years, there's been, you know, um, moments, you know, I've run into him uh, places. I I remember one night uh, I was at, it was like a Monday night and there was a bookstore near Fox called Brentano's in Century City. And I was over there at like 930 at night uh pretending, you know, that I was buying books and I was just in there doing something. And I heard this voice behind me and I knew without turning that it was his voice. Uh, And I spun around and I must have looked so crazed uh, (laughs) that I think I probably scared the crap out of him and Patty 
uh, and, and he kind of, he had a baseball cap on and he pulled it down kind of over his eyes and, and uh, they kind of made a beeline for the exit. So I, I think I freaked him out then. Uh, and then years later we went to a benefit um, uh, called, uh, it was a music cares benefit honoring Bruce about five years ago. And uh, he was coming in and my wife said, this is your chance. <laughs> you know, you, if you're ever going to say hi to him, there he is, you know, and I finally we got up the nerve to go over by his table and he was getting closer to his seat. And I knew once he was seated, there'd be no, it'd be too weird to try to talk yeah. to him. So I'm trying to get to him and there's a lot of crying. Like a lot of people are stopping to say hi as he's working his way through. And then I get there and the only thing standing between me and Bruce are Sting and Elton John. Uh, <laughs> so I, I couldn't believe I did this, but I, I, this was my moment. And I literally shoved them apart, Sting and Elton John, and squeezed my body through theirs <laughs> to say hello to Bruce. <laughs> that is almost the Simpsons episode. Uh, you could be yeah. Homer, right? <laughs> oh, so you got to say hi to him. I got to say hi to him and, and, you know, thank him for all the great music. And, you know, I just talked to Milo a minute and, told him how, you know, he, uh, that, you know, saw him in Springfield mass and, uh, and he laughed. He was very nice. And then, uh, and actually I spent my 60th birthday. I slept on the sidewalk out here in LA outside of a uh, Barnes and Noble bookstore. Cause he was doing a book signing. And, yes. uh, so I, I slept out on the sidewalk on, on for my 60th birthday and waited for him to get there the next morning to get a, get a picture with him and get a signed book. And it was totally worth it. Um, so I, um, I had started a new job and, uh, when they were doing a book signing in Austin, Texas, um, I, I bought a ticket, but I said, I, if I end up not being able to go, that's okay. And, um, I ended up working over Thanksgiving weekend looking for, we had a lot of openings and, so I interviewed over the weekend, and my new boss was like, I can't believe you worked over the weekend for the holiday. I appreciate that. You know, if you ever need some time off, let me know. Well, just so happens, <laughs> December 1st, oh, yeah, you've got to go to Austin. So um, I did the same. I drove down to Austin, um, you know, stood in line and got my six seconds with him in the picture. Um, awesome. And yeah. it just, yeah, it, it was just um it it truly and and what do you say you know in that six seconds and and but it was um you know i i was uh luca broxa on the godfather right like you know saying over and over again in my speech i was unemployed for nine months better days and land of hope and dreams got me through this every day thank you for that you know i mean i just was over and over again uh you know i what did you feel when the band did break apart and he moved to California? I mean, did you, as a longtime fan, were you, uh, did you feel anything at all? Did you kind of figure out that, you know, as a creative person yourself going, well, he's got to pursue what he needs to pursue? What What did you do as a fan? Think about that. Uh, I remember, you know, I, the initial reaction, I was upset. Uh, I'm not angry with him because I, you know, I get it. And uh, I understand the need to, 
to try something else and work with other people and just see how that yeah. feels and all that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the idea of seeing him without the E Street Band on stage, uh, you know, was you know disappointing, and I felt like you know it just came to an end so abruptly. And, 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 you know, without warning, you know, not that, you know, he needed to call me or run it by me. Or anything, yeah, exactly. But, uh, it seemed like he, he had made this very important decision without consulting me. Yeah, what the <laughs> so, heck? Yeah, but I do, like, I understand. And I know, you know, Tom Petty went through the same thing with the Heartbreakers, where he just wanted to, you know, do something on his own. And, and you know, he did, you know, Full Moon Fever and, uh, you know, wanted yeah. to work in, you know, the Wilburys and, and just try some other things. And, uh, you know, I get that, but it was, it was tough, but, you know, I still, you know, I still actually, you know, in, high, in Lucky Town, I think it's just a killer album. You know, when people ask me like my favorite albums, Lucky Town, you know, it's, it, the rotation changes sometimes sure. of what's my favorite, but Lucky Town is always up there at uh, near the top. I think it's just a super underrated uh, album uh, because it was that period with the new band. Um but I remember, you know, going to the shows. My wife and I went, and it was different. And you know, it was, uh, you know, it was it was like sad not to see all the guys on stage. But you know, Bruce is such a pro. I mean, he worked his ass off, and you know, kind of won you over to this new, you know, uh, version of the band. This thing he was doing, you know, because he's he's such a great performer, and the songs are so strong. Uh, he he got away with it, and and it worked, and you know. That being said, you know, when they announced the reunion tour, you know, I was, you know, giddy. I couldn't wait. Uh, I went all four nights at Staples Center out here and uh, and it was just so much fun to see them back together again. And maybe I wouldn't have appreciated it as much, you know, had there not been that absence, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, is there do you have a couple songs uh, that you're chasing? That as a fan that you you haven't got to hear him perform live and you'd like to? Um, boy, uh, there used to be some, I mean, there was periods where he, you know, just never played anything off the first couple albums. Yeah. Um, you know, there was tours where you just didn't hear anything. And I really, you know, missed hearing, you know, like, you know, Growing Up or Spirit in the Night or, you know, Kitty's Back and, um, you know, or the, you know, Sandy and Ishii Shuffle, those songs just disappeared for a lot of years. So it was nice when, when they came back. Um, I, I always miss if I don't hear she's the one, um, even if, even though he does play it most of the time, uh, when it's not in the set, uh, the, there's something about that song that I really, uh, miss a lot. Um, there's song, oh boy, I'm trying to think of one's, that I wish could hear a little more often. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't mind hearing, you know, uh, more, you know, tunnel of love, uh, you know, uh, era stuff. And, um, and, and even, like I said, like some stuff off of lucky town and, uh, but over the, the past few years, he's been so great about reintroducing, uh, certain songs and, um, you know, particularly like the river tour, there were so many of those songs I hadn't heard in so many years. Um, you know, it was really fun. I will say like the one thing I had missed for so many years and I happened to be there, my, my wife, <laughs> I don't like to travel a lot, but my wife okay. 
uh, and my wife does. And she came up with a way to trick me into traveling, which was uh, she took me to Barcelona, and but she planned the trip for when Bruce was going to be playing there for two nights. Um, this was in 2012. And so while we're there, uh, during the uh, part of the show where people are holding up signs, one of the sign requests was this very specific request that said, prove it all night with 1978 intro. Uh, and, and I saw the signs thing up and I, I remember laughing like, wow, that's a super specific request. And I remember how much I used to love that on that tour, you know, on the, on the you know, darkness tour when he would do that, uh, that long instrumental uh, intro, which was just so powerful and cool. And then it, it fell out over the years and he hadn't done it for so long. And he grabbed the sign and showed it to the band. And it was one of the few times where I could really see some like panic on the band's face. I, I don't think Nils even knew what it was, uh, <laughs> what the 1978 intro part was. And there was some running around on the stage and quick consultations between band members, uh, what they're doing. And then uh, they played it. And uh, now like he does, you know, uh, when he does play it, he frequently, you know, puts that intro back on the song again, which I love. And when I saw him at Foxborough a couple of years ago at the end of the river tour, he like the first, I think out of the first 11 songs, 10 of them were from the first two albums. Um, yeah. Cause by, by that point it was just being called the river tour, but he wasn't really playing it anymore. And that was just awesome. It was so much fun to hear so many of those old songs back to back you know that you didn't you don't get to hear um very often so uh you know you know lost in the flood for me was always like a, just a super powerful song and uh you know not in the set list a ton but when you do hear it it just kind of jumps out at you um you know and you know hearing uh, you know incident and uh, you know with the the string section or, or not incident, New York City Serenade, uh, you know, with the strings on stage, uh, super powerful. So stuff like that, you know, that you haven't heard in years. And then, uh, but he's been so great, you know, I would say the last 10 years about bringing stuff back uh, and, and still trying new things at the same time. Yeah, um, I do. Uh, I agree. Um, I'm, uh, it, it is, I was able to go, to one of the MetLife stadium shows where he did, you know, he opened up uh, with, um, you know, with the strings, New York Serenade, and then um, he yeah. did Jack of All Trades with the strings, which was amazing. Oh, uh, wow, I love that song. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, okay, um, I have a listener, and he, uh, Jay has been on the show a couple times. Um, he is a... Uh, in Philly, he teaches um, high school English, honors English, and he does a whole um, course on, you know, one of the chapters they'll cover is they do Thunder Road compared to uh, kind of as a poem and talking about like Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled, and comparing the two, talking about it in that kind of theme. And at the end of it, he always asks his students, does Mary get in the car? Because on the original lyrics, he says, <laughs> I'm getting out of here to win. So like to ask my guest, 
your opinion, Mike? Wow, that's what wow, what a great question. I, I I've never thought about it because I never doubted for a second that she gets in the car. Uh in my in my head she would be crazy not to. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's a boy, what that's a fascinating question though. Yeah, he um you know, cuz he thinks you know, he ultimately says that she's too afraid that he says Thunder Road is all about choices and making choices. And he believes that she's too afraid to make that ch change. Um, I being someone who was raised up on Walt Disney um, <laughs> and, and the Simpsons and, uh, you know, happy endings, uh, no matter how skewed they are, I believe that she does. So. Uh, yeah, because, nice. because he he calls it a town, you know, a town full of losers. Uh, so in my head, that you know, yeah. she wouldn't have stayed. But no, oh, uh, but it's an interesting argument. Uh, yeah. Wow, well, what a great question. Ah, oh, very nice. Um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, any final thoughts or any last um, stories to share? Oh gosh. Uh, uh, not to come right to my, I mean, I'm just, you know, if anybody still like anybody who's listening to the podcast, obviously is a big fan. So uh, I, I don't think I have to preach to anybody that if you've never gone to see it, you know, you better move fast, but uh, you know, highly recommend the, the Broadway show. If you, if you can somehow pull it off, um, you know, cause it's just seeing a whole different side of them. Uh, and um, oh wow! And go see uh, Stephen and the and the disciples while they're I caught their show here in L.A. Oh, what uh, last year and oh, they were incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. And it was uh, so much fun. And this like he's giving away tickets to teachers. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool. Two of my daughters are teachers, so I, I thought that was really nice that he's doing that. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad that he fights for, you know, that the music in schools, because it's true. It's, you know, been cut away and, uh, you know, and I can't imagine, you know, I was very lucky and I guess you probably feel the same way growing up when we did, you took stuff like that for granted that there, you'd have music and art and all that stuff at schools. And now it's a, you know, in a lot of schools, it's a, a luxury or you have to find it you know outside of school. Um, yeah. So I think it's great that uh, that he does that. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll say one quick. Uh, uh, I, I, my wife and I are actually uh, we're currently working. We're developing an animated show uh, with Amy Poehler, uh, and we were talking one day about the characters. About the, it's a 15 year old boy and his family, and Amy's doing the voice of the boy and his mother. And we were just talking about what the characters should be like, and that, and and she said, "Well, the dad should be like you." And I said, I said, what do you mean? Like me? She goes, you know how he can take any conversation you know, at all that anybody's having and somehow turn it into a story about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will take that. Right. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Amy. Um, I, um, <laughs> that is the joke everyone gives me, um, at work because, um, we had um, we had had a um, we just had a private equity firm buy into the company that I work for, and um, and they were talking about ping pong tables, 
and how they 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 keep a ping pong table at their office and they're sometimes just to relieve street uh, stress they play and then of course sometimes when they said when we're really debating we're like okay let's go to the table this you know winner will you know we'll <laughs> pick it out and so of course i had to tell the story bruce does in his book about you know the band playing and then they got up on stage and a couple of them were still playing ping pong and they looked at me like you truly can find a bruce springsteen story about almost anything can't you yes 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 yes, i can i said uh the uh the gospel of bruce yes there is there's always a story bruce there's always a bruce story you could share so that is great um i that sounds the project with amy sounds amazing i i think that will be a lot of fun and i now um am looking forward to seeing a um you know um, a Lucky Town album cover in the background of the, uh, you know, in the um, parents' living room when we see the show, right? <laughs> yeah, no, there'll, there'll be stuff in there for, uh, for sure. If we if we get this on the air in the next year or so, uh, there definitely will be, uh, you know, some Bruce little, some little Bruce things in the background. Very nice, sir. Um, well, thank you. This is amazing. Um, I don't know. Uh, how are you active on social media? Is there any way if someone wants to uh, reach out to you to tell you the, how much they enjoyed visiting you and to uh, tell you how much we love um, all your work on Parks and Rec and The Simpsons? Um, you know that boy. That's 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 two nice feathers in your cap, as they say. Oh no, yeah, I've been you know crazily lucky. Uh, in my life, I think, you know, I mean, basically with my background, I probably, you know, I probably should have wound up in, in jail. Or something. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, it's amazing the way uh, things turned out. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter, uh, at, uh, at Scully Mike. Okay. There was already somebody, there already was a Mike Scully. So it's at Scully Mike on Twitter. That's pretty much all my social okay. media. I don't really do. I'm, uh, you know, Facebook, I just kind of am on to, you know, if my uh, kids are posting pictures. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, yes. You know, you know, them or the grandkids. But I'm not pretty, I'm not really active on Facebook. Well, um, I was hoping um, you were involved in writing one of my favorite quotes, but you were just as part of it. But um, I often, when I'm frustrated at work, I will quote the we've tried nothing and we're all out of options quote that came from the Simpsons <laughs> <laughs> when I'm frustrated with my bosses, you know? Uh, so yes. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, th- this was just wonderful. I appreciate it so much. Um, continued success, sir. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, hang on just a minute. Uh, if you want to be, uh- on the podcast and share your story, uh, reach out to me, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at setlustingbruce. I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. And you could reach out, tell us what you think, and we'd love to hear from you. Mike, 
I thank you for visiting with me. I hope you had a good time. Oh, thank you, Jesse. Oh, no, I had a blast, man. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we finally you know, got to uh, figure out the times and, and get it together. But uh, I've been wanting to do it ever since I first read about you know what you were doing. I thought it was a really cool idea. So uh, anybody out there listening who wants to you know, get in on it should definitely be a guest. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I'm going to uh, tell everyone. I am getting I am getting paid for this, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so, I'm right. there. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you, listeners. We will talk to you soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.